Praise the Lord. Good morning, Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart in an Acts 1-8 environment. All families have family traditions. And one of our family traditions right here at Gateway Church is that on the fifth Sunday, that's Mission Sunday. And uh, that's today. We know that Acts 1-8 begins this way, that you will be given power by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses, Jesus is saying, first in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, our city would be Elk River, Otsego, and then Judea, Minneapolis, Samaria, parts of the Twin Cities, unto the ends of the earth. And so we're this family, we're in this environment of Acts 1-8. We know that individually, our Jerusalem is wherever we live our daily lives. Each of us are called to be Jesus' witnesses as light and salt in the marketplace. So literally, I'm not the only pastor. I may be the pastor on stage, but this place is packed full of ministers. I'm looking at all these ministers today. Every single one of you are ministers where? In the marketplace. You each have a distinct and unique calling by God. My role just happens to be one to help break open the word and equip the ministers of the saints. That would be all of you. That's individually. Corporately, our Jerusalem is this neighborhood right here. Gateway Church. I don't even remember the, the address. I'm still going on the old address. 829 School Street. This is 13913, I believe, 185th Avenue. Elk River, Minnesota, on the edge of Elk River, the gateway leading into the city of Elk River. Lord's called us to be a gateway for his presence, for the proclamation of the gospel, and for you and I to continue to experience the manifest presence of the Lord. The Lord's put on our hearts right here in our neighborhood this ministry, this mission field. I'll get it up here, right here. Lake Orno Estates. Lord put this on my heart a few weeks back, received a number of confirmations. This is our neighbor, our Jerusalem. Individually, we're salt and light wherever you go, but here in our neighborhood, it's right here just east of us on Highway 10. And we want to be good neighbors to them. Kirsten Tucky, our children's ministry director, has made connection with the manager. The Lord's definitely building a relationship. And that's where it starts. We just want to build these kinds of relationships. Next week is Easter. So we had this idea. Let's be a good neighbor, Right? Let's do something. Let's not put on the, the, the army boots and kick down any doors and say, hey, you're a sinner. You need, you need Jesus. 
No, let's build a relationship first. And then just see where the Lord takes us. And so Kirsten and her children, Caden and Aslan and Gavin, on Wednesday, they went and on each door, with permission, they taped this, this little uh, um, notice on each door. It said, as we welcome spring, we'd like to say hello. I think it's a poem, right? You'll have to determine if it is or not. Neighbor, hello neighbor. Be on the lookout for an Easter gift, gift bag to arrive at your door this Saturday, March 28th. Blessings. Who was it signed? Us. Gateway Church. And then on Saturday, the family went over and put down right on by, by each door this little gift bag. And it's not a whole lot of, it's just cool stuff, treats. You know, a chocolate cross, all right? Right here. Now some would say, oh, come, come on. No, no, really, that's all, that's cool, isn't it? Well, whatever, you just lighten up a little bit here. Man, then a nice gift from you guys, caribou card, and then just a bunch of other good treats. I, you know what? This is cool. This is just saying to our neighbors, Lake Orno Estates, right down the road. We just want to be a good neighbor here at Gateway Church. We want to bless you, and so on this Mission Sunday, we're going to do that. We're going to pray, and I've asked. Tom, if he'd come, Tom Tucky, and uh, Tom's gonna, he's gonna pray for our neighbors at uh, Lake Orno Estates. Come on up, Tom. Tom's been a real blessing. He's an appointed elder here at uh, Gateway Church, and he's a man who, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Tom, would you offer up a prayer? Let's pray. God, you are an awesome God, a God of love. God of opportunity, and today we just thank you. We thank you that you chased us down with yes, your love, Lord. that we'd be able to sit here today and know you. We're grateful for that. And we want the same opportunity to love people the way you love us. So we look for those things. This Lake Orono Estates, Lord, would you bless them? Yes, God. We believe that you put them on our hearts for a purpose that we would be a light to them. And certainly we don't know everybody's status there, but we want to be a good neighbor. We yeah. want to be ministers in the marketplace. Lord, would you bless them? Would you take care of their needs? And would you let them know that we are here for them? Amen. We want to be good stewards of your love, that we can pass that on to them, whether it's for something they need, whether it's a word they need to hear, that we would just be present, that we would be willing to go and do what it takes to build those roads so that eventually they can come into a relationship with you. I mean, we'd love to have them here at Gateway, Amen. but the truth is, Lord, we want them to know you, to find you, yes, to love you. It's your will that everyone would come into a relationship with you. Help us to be the conduit to do that. Would you give us the ability, the understanding, the wisdom to, to do this the way you would have us to do it? Would you guide us and direct us 
Sometimes we walk through things awkwardly as we try and figure out just how you would want us to do it, but we trust your power, your ability to guide us into that. So we come to you asking you, teach us, guide us, direct us the best way, your way, so that this relationship can thrive and that we can minister to them. Lord, I also want to pray for this mission trip to Honduras that's coming up. Yes, God. With Robert and his team, that they would just be prepared and ready, ready to just communicate with these people about you, about your love for them, about what you've done for them. I pray that their hearts would just be ready to receive as they get there, that the trip would be a huge success, and that when they come back and share the stories, that we would be renewed by what's taken place. We trust you for this trip. Trust that good things are going to happen, Lord. And last but not least, just want to pray for Pastor Paul and the message he's going to give today in Nehemiah about walls and the workers, that we would be impacted by it, that we'd be challenged by it. Just allow him to speak boldly about your truths today, Lord, that it would hit our hearts. Yes, God. And I just pray this, Jesus, in your awesome name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that prayer. Is Robert Apt here? I don't know if Robert's here. He's leading the team to Honduras in July. And so thank you, Tom, for praying for Robert and the team. And uh, for those of you who know that you are going, I'm going to ask you just to stand, all right? If you know that you're going to Honduras, I know there's a number of you. Come on now. How about those? Okay, we got... You got our brother Todd here and others. Good. Awesome. Mike's going. Great. Teresa's going. How many? Now, look around. Got, got a gal over here. How, if you know, if you're praying about it, and you're just saying, okay, Lord, I don't know for sure if I'm, if I'm supposed to go, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're praying about it right now, how many are, are praying about going? And you just don't know yet. I know there's a lot more at, in, in the informational meeting, but... Uh, Look around, check these folks out, and ask the Lord to, to put them on your hearts as we pray for them. You may be seated. Acts 1.8. We're praying for our Jerusalem, Nehemiah, in our study through this incredible book, was praying for his Jerusalem. And we know that Nehemiah left a, a, a comfortable lifestyle. He was the cupbearer to the king, because he had a love for his Jerusalem and his people. He was in the city of Susa in Persia. His brother comes back from Jerusalem. He wants a report and says, how are things going in Jerusalem? And Hananiah, his brother, gives him the report and says, the walls are broken down and the people are in great disgrace. This is what it could possibly look like. This is this is the old um, um, geograph geographical dimensions of the old city of Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah. The city, the walls were broken down. The gates were burned by fire. And we know that God puts Jerusalem on Nehemiah's heart. He was, he was a leader. He ends up in Jerusalem Chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, 
You see the trouble that we are in. This isn't your problem. I'm making your problem my problem. That's what good leaders do, right? Look at the, the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Right there. Get a picture of that in your mind. And we will no longer be in disgrace. Verse 18. I told them also, the people, about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me, King Artaxerxes. Just asked when I was coming back. Nehemiah, I want you to come back, but I'll let you go. In fact, I'll pay for it. I'll send an army with you. Whatever you need, I'll provide. And so he travels 900 miles, takes him two months, he gets to Jerusalem. This is what he finds right here. They replied to Nehemiah and to each other, let's do this. Let's start the rebuilding. So they began this good work. Chapter 3. That's how Nehemiah concludes chapter 2. There's a few words about the enemy. We'll talk about that later. But the work begins in chapter 3. In your Bibles, turn to chapter 3. You have a homework assignment. It's this. I want you to read all of chapter 3 this week. 32 verses. You can do it. It's a fascinating study. Chapter 3. The work begins. Nehemiah, prior to that, planned his work, and now he begins to work his plan. In his mind, he's praying as a leader, good leader, gets on his knees. He's a humble leader. His character matched his ability, far exceeded it. He had a plan, and now it's time to work his plan. Here's what he does. He intrinsically motivates the people to work and the result is, listen, this city right here. Take a look at this city. I want you to see something. You can't see it on the screen. you got to visualize it in your own mind. I want you to see that this city, these walls, these gates are surrounded by people, by workers, wall-to-wall workers. And that's the title of my sermon today. I'm not going to click right away. I want you to see this. You got to just see this place surrounded by workers because this is going to be, and it is, an Old Testament story that has parallels in the New Testament. Wall-to-wall workers working together, hand in hand. We got this city surrounded. That's the title. The workers had Jerusalem surrounded. Chapter 3, verse 1. Can't read this whole chapter. Take too long. You got to read it. It's a great chapter. 
Eliashib, the high priest. It's the way it starts. Nehemiah's the leader, comes in. He's working with the other leaders. Somehow he makes connection with the high priest. Prior to this, the temple had been rebuilt. Ezra's time. I mean, this rebuilding project came in phases. Three different leaders. Nehemiah comes along at the very end. Stuff on the inside was rebuilt, but the protective walls around Jerusalem had not yet been rebuilt. Elishib, the high priest, and his fellow priests did what? Sat in their offices and said, let's let everybody else do the work. No, they went to work. Rebuilt the sheep gate. I wonder why. It's an interesting gate. May have looked like this. Broken down. It's on the northeast part of that picture. Close to the temple. I want you to hang on to that. The sheep gate is close to the temple. I wonder why. This fellow priest went to work, rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakar, son of Imri, built next to them. That was the sheep gate. What do I want to say about that? This is what it may have looked like. It's restored. And it was the high priest and other priests who did this work. I want you to notice something as well. That when you read this chapter, that Nehemiah, as a leader, he was strategic in how he led. He didn't start at just the first gate, the sheep gate, and then have everybody gather there and say, okay, once we get this gate done, then we're going to move to the next gate. And after we get, we get that gate done, we're going to build the walls around that gate and then go to the next one. No, here's what he did. He was a wise leader. They needed a leader. Whenever you rebuild something, we have to have leaders. Good leadership. That's what it takes. He had this idea. Everyone to a gate. Everyone in Jerusalem. And those who care about Jerusalem. Everyone pick a gate. Maybe it's close to your house. You'll see that in that chapter when you read it. Some of the people went nearest to the gate that was closest to their house. Why? Because they had vested interest in that gate. Others went to places they had a passion in. Guess where the high priest and the priests, where did they have a passion? The sheep gate. Why? Because that's where all the animals came through. All the livestock that came into the city came through the sheep gate. They had animal sacrifices. So what? I'm saying, what, 
what kind of information, what, what good is that going to do for me in my life tomorrow? Well, I don't know if it's going to help you tomorrow. But I think there's a principle here. What do you have a passion for in life? What are you good at? What has God given you a gift in? What do you really care about? See, the high priests and the priests, they cared about the sheep gate. And that's where they went to rebuild it. What do you care about in life, in ministry? Take that passion. Don't waste it on yourself. Whatever that passion is, morph it into something that God blesses, that Jesus Christ is honored in, that his kingdom would be built up in, because that's what we're going to get judged by. So I think there's something to be heard here in this great story. To rebuild anything, it takes leadership. It requires work. There's no way of getting around it. Nehemiah knew that he couldn't come riding in on his white horse and save the day by rebuilding the walls by himself. That'd take a hundred years. He motivated the people to work. I hope that in some small way that I can do that. But today that you would take a look at your life and say, is my work building God's kingdom? I believe there's a principle in this Old Testament story to working in God's kingdom in the New Testament. Jesus often talked about working in God's field. He used the metaphor of an old owner of a field and then entrusting that field to workers. Three principles of working in God's kingdom that we can see right in this Old Testament story that transitions into the New Testament kingdom of God. By the way, there's a fish gate and it's restored, it's rebuilt. You, you can read about that. That's the next gate going counterclockwise. So when you look at, at that city, that old city that I put up there, that's how they, that's how they rebuilt how he tells the story. The old gate. The old gate's rebuilt. But what are the principles? Number one, we all work. We all work. Circle that word all. Write it down somewhere. We all work. Turn to your neighbor and say, the preacher's talking to me today, and I'm listening. I'm not sleeping. Can you, can you do that? Just... You know, turn to someone and say, he's talking to me. You know, it's usually he's talking to you, but today he's talking to me. We all work. No one is exempt from working in God's kingdom. And it really is a delight to work for God. Can you imagine? 
the absolute joy and honor it is to work for Jesus. I can't think of a greater privilege. And it's not just me. It's you. Your marketplace ministers. God has a job for you to do. You got to see what you do tomorrow is your job for Jesus. Like I said, we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but Nehemiah names names. There's a reason for that. I can't pronounce the names. He wanted everyone to know that it will take everyone to get the job done. But like in the church, there are some who say no. I want to read verse 5. Verse 5 says this. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but I am going to read verse 5. It said, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Let me read that again. The next section of the wall was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They said, I'm not doing it. I like my life the way it is. I'm not working on this wall. It's sad to say that there are those in the church who in essence say to the Lord, I'm not working. I'm not working for you. Friend, each of you have a spiritual gift. Do you know that if you're in Christ? The Lord has given you a spiritual gift. When you were saved, you were born again, but God did something else. He put in you a spiritual gift to work alongside all your talents and abilities. How do I know that? Romans 12, verses 4 through 8 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Nehemiah 3 Next to this guy is this guy. Next to this gal is this gal. Next to, next to. It's, it's there about 30 times. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging or exhortation, then encourage. If it's giving, if your spiritual gift is giving, then give. How? Generously. If it's leading, if you have a gift of leadership, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
Folks, there's seven motivational gifts. This is what I believe about the gifts of the Spirit. I did this teaching a couple of years ago. I'm going back to it. Because you each have what I believe to be one or two or whatever, at least one of these motivational gifts. Do you know what it is? Do you know what your gift is? If I were to ask you, Jill, John, Joe, I'm not going to ask you, I'll put you on the spot. But someday out in the foyer, maybe I just will. I might say, Deanna, tell me, what is your spiritual gift? What is your motivational gift? If it's prophesying, the Lord gives you, you know, that unction, that, that word to exhort someone else, to give them a word, then prophesy. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. Circle the one that's yours. Do you know today? And then you take those gifts, whatever that gift is, and you put it on top of in your families. That's the first place. You work that gift in your families. Then you work that gift in the marketplace. And then you take that gift and you operate that gift in the church. That's how it works. Second principle. We all work together. Circle that word together. It's important. We must all pull in the same direction towards the same goal. We all labor side by side in harmony with each other. That's what they did in Nehemiah's day. If you go back to that chapter, you'll see over 30 times how it's listed. Next to this person is that person. One after another. They're working side by side to get the job done. And that's what we need to do if we're going to build the kingdom of God in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Friend, I'm going to ask you a question here. I want you to think about this question. Who do you work next to in ministry? Can you name someone? Maybe you're thinking right now in, in the church. This is, this is the ministry that I have the church. I can name a person who serves with me on my right. I can name a person who serves with me on the left. Can you name someone? Because there were names in this chapter. If you can't name anyone, a flag should go up in your heart and say, Lord, I, I got some work to do. I got to ask you to help me identify what my gift is. Ask somebody, they'll tell you. I got to find out where in in the ministry that you're calling me to serve. I got to have a place to serve. These gates weren't isolated, they were interconnected, and the gaps were being closed because the people were working together and for each other. And then lastly, We all work 
humbly together. Circle that word, humbly. Why don't you look at verse 14 with me as we close. It's down further in, in the slide. You see it there, verse 14? It's the dung gate. I'm not making this up. It's there in, in, the, in the list of gates. Someone had to work on it, right? Someone had to say, okay, I'm, I'm taking that gate. <laughs> it, it's not a long list. I wonder why. But I want you to notice something about the list when we read it. Let's see if you catch it before I even read it. Something very interesting about this verse. The dung gate was in the south end of the city, right near the garbage dump. It was the gate through which all the garbage was carried, all the sewage and the waste, all the trash and the filth. It went right through that dung gate. It was repaired, verse 14, by Malachijah, son of Rechab. He was a ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He was a ruler. He was a leader. A ruler is a leader. What did this leader do? He didn't say, well, that's somebody else's job. I'm not doing the dirty work. I'm too high in the chain here to stoop so low to work on the dung gate. No, he rolled up his sleeves and he what? It says that he rebuilt it and put its doors in place. This was probably the lowest of the low jobs in the project. Takes a humble servant to work on that gate. The only way we're going to do that is if we submit to each other. We've got to put away pride that too often separates brothers. We've got to humble ourselves, right? I'd rather do my own thing. Well, you can't do your own thing in the church. It doesn't work that way. You've got to submit yourselves to one another. Sometimes you've got to do the dirty work. Someone had to do it. A leader did it. No task is beneath my dignity to perform, is what the leader said. Because we're only as strong as our weakest link. Someone asked Mr. Bernstein, a great band leader, what is the most difficult instrument to play? He responded with a quick wit, second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one plays second, we have no 
harmony. If we're going to build God's kingdom, we must all be willing to play second fiddle to one another. That means we all must work humbly together. Who are you next to in ministry? Would someone in the body mention your name? I work next to Deanna. This week, I want to challenge you to encourage one person who works beside you in the ministry. Communicate in some way with them. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them, what can I do to help you in the ministry? How can I help you repair this gate, this section of the wall? Friend, if you can't name anyone, talk to God. Ask him to help you get involved in his great work. Shall we pray? Lord, we submit ourselves to this word today. I pray that we would read it. We would go home. We would read Nehemiah chapter 3. Get a vision for all the work that was done. Lord, they had Jerusalem surrounded, wall-to-wall workers. Lord, thank you. Two, three weeks ago, we celebrated our volunteers, 235 people that we could name and say they're involved in a ministry here at Gateway Church. And that's not even counting what takes place in the marketplace, in our families. Lord, we, we want to sign up, discover our gifts, build your kingdom. I pray we would submit to you and your word. 